invite you, if you would, to turn, uh, first of all, together with me, in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter number 3. And last Wednesday night, uh, I got stirred up and fired up and and uh, just uh, was preaching up a storm, and I got through one point of a message that contains several points, <laughs> and perhaps we'll make a little bit better, better progress tonight, I don't know, but I'm not making any promises, uh, but we're going to for sure make some tracks through the Word of God, and uh, we're not on a timetable, and so we'll take whatever time that we need, and uh, I just... Uh, I'm excited about how a sovereign God chooses to direct my heart to a message at the precise moment that a person who's listening may need that message. I was amazed over the last two Sundays to hear the testimonies of people who had been in the services or who had viewed them online who indicated that at their, that very moment, they needed to hear that precise message, and they believed that it was a divine appointment. Sunday afternoon, I heard from some folks that said that was exactly the message that we needed to hear. And perhaps there's someone who's dialed in tonight that I don't even know about. And God will direct my heart to preach a truth from out of His Word that is exactly where you are, and what God has ordained for you to hear this night. And so because God has led you to this place, He has a purpose for you being here. And He has a message that He wants for all of us to receive. So I want you to listen on purpose tonight as we begin here. And we will begin reading in verse number 20 of Ephesians chapter 3. And here the Bible says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Tonight as we continue with this message, uh, this message is, giving God the glory in our church. And I want us to consider uh, the truth uh, that is set before us, knowing that God has said, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. There is never going to come a time in our lives where that God does not desire for His body to bring Him glory. In every age, every dispensation of time, and we could predate the church and go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and know that even there, God desired to receive the glory unto Himself. I believe that in some service recently, I shared with our congregation that one of my kids had a friend who declared to them that they were an atheist. And as my child was uh, interacting with this person, trying to lead them away from that persuasion and draw them to the Savior. They asked, what has led you to the conclusion that there is no God? And the person said, well, because God has made this all about Himself. He wants man 
to give him glory, and that therefore makes God a classic narcissist. It's all about him. The fact of the matter is this, that if God was simply a man, I could understand how mankind could come to that conclusion. But the reality is that God is our creator. God is our sustainer. And all things the Bible says were created by Him, and all things were created for Him. God doesn't exist for me. I exist for Him. And so I recognize that my very existence, the very breath that I breathe, comes from a wonderful God who created me and who loves me, and furthermore, who laid down his life for me because he loves me and wants to spend forever in heaven with me, and he delights in me. My friends, Calvary obliterates any notion that Jesus was narcissistic because he prayed in his agony, Father, uh, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless. Not my will, it's it's not what I desire, not my will, but thy will be done. And so, just on that basis alone, that ought to bring praise to our lips and a heart that's filled with a passion to render glory to the only one who is truly deserving of it. He indeed is. And the Bible declares, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. God is deserving of our glory. And His will for the church, of which if you are a Christian, you are a part, you are a, a member of that body, you are a stone in the, in the building of God that makes up a habitation for the Holy Spirit. It is our responsibility, not just corporately, but individually as members of that body, to purpose in our hearts that we will live lives in such a way that we will bring glory and honor to the Lord God. As we consider that tonight, I want us to just Look to the Lord in a moment of prayer. God, I pray that you would help us to receive from thy spirit the truth contained here, that we might, Lord, not just hear it, but that we might appropriate it into our lives, that we might be more like thee, that we might fulfill your greater purpose for us to to bring you honor and glory, knowing that you alone are worthy and deserving of it. For this we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. My friends, we know that the Bible says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. We understand that that is the purpose of our lives. Ultimately, we we read in Psalm 29, the verse, give unto the Lord glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of of His holiness. As we began our study last week, we, we discovered that we can glorify God through the Scriptures, through a life that is lived in accord with what God has taught us from His Word. Certainly, the Bible declares in the words written in red, if you love me, keep 
my commandments. I have discovered that those who truly love the Lord have no issue with the command to give Him glory. It is their life purpose and goal. And so loving and honoring, uh, praising and glorifying the one that saved them is something that they delight in doing. And they want to live their life in absolute obedience to the truth of the Word of God. And we know that if we endeavor to do anything outside of what the Scripture reveals, it is an impossibility for us to truly give Him glory. Because to give Him glory in the beauty of His holiness, we, we understand means, that means that we are going to endeavor to live up to what God has declared. He said, be holy, even as I, the Lord your God, am holy. And the only pathway there too is the ministry of the Holy Spirit as He affects that ongoing work of sanctification in our life upon the platform of the Word of God. And that enables us then to fulfill all of the goodwill of God uh, for our lives, chiefest of which and overarching of that would be to give Him the glory. Now, I want to just have you turn in your Bible tonight over to the Epistle to the Romans, Romans chapter 4. And I want to bring out a point that I believe is sometimes overlooked in a study of bringing glory to the Lord. But nonetheless, I think, is one that really calls for our attention tonight. And I think that we find in verse number 18 of Romans chapter 4, who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, speaking of Abraham, According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving God, giving glory to God. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. You know what renders glory to the Lord? When we believe what he says and we act accordingly. Perhaps nothing indicates that we are people of faith and that we take God at his word and we are going to act upon the Word of God, and, and thereby it glorifies the giver of the Word, because we have confidence in it. That's what Abraham did. He, he was strong in faith, and what was the result of that? He gave God the glory. By the act of faith, God was glorified. He showed confidence in God. And here in Romans, we, we find something that really stirs our minds and hearts with regard to the principle of faith living. And the Bible says in Romans 12, a verse or two that we all have perhaps heard many times, and many of you no doubt have committed to your memory. It says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, 
brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this is not my message alone. If it were, I would make tracks throughout all of the Bible. But I want to just submit to you tonight that we should glorify God through the Scriptures because that's the pathway to rendering glory, that which will truly glorify God. And secondly, we're to glorify God through our sacrifice. Now, tonight, uh, as I was preparing for uh, the, the service together, I was just thinking about the word sacrifice, and I pulled down my Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and I began to read the myriad definitions given for the word sacrifice. And did you know that early on in our English language, Almost every indication of the word sacrifice was in reference to giving to God. It's an amazing thing, really, when you think about the, the founders of our country when they set about to do a great service to humanity and they did something as wonderful as publishing the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. They used as their usage, word usage sentences in many of the instances they used Bible verses themselves. And they gave us the Greek and Hebrew and the Latin and the French and the Aramaic and, and the different roots, the origins. So we, uh, we not only have the usage, but we, we have some insight into the etymology itself. And the fact is that in the early time of our country's development, the word sacrifice was mostly used in reference to giving to God making a sacrifice, a burnt offering to the Lord. And that was mentioned many times with verses in that Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Now, it made careful to point out the fact that it was a burnt offering. And let me tell you why that was so consequential. The burnt offering was something that was entirely given. It was consumed in the fire. There were other offerings, there were meat offerings, there were drink offerings, there were heave offerings, there were uh, different offerings of bread on the table of showbread, and, and a portion of those were retrieved. We find in the celebration and feast days, often in Israel, many of the sacrifices that were brought were not utterly consumed because it was given to provide a time of feast to the people of God, but those burnt offerings were entirely offered to God so that there was not one part of it that could be reclaimed by its giver. When it was given, it was entirely God's. It cost them something, and one of the common denominators that I found as I began to study the word sacrifice as it related to the Scripture was that it always indicated that it was to give something up such that it was a 
loss. A loss. There are sometimes that people say, oh man, I made a sacrifice. And what they mean is that they gave up a round of golf. But, you know, they didn't lose anything. They didn't live without something. They just went without a pleasure. And that's not a sacrifice, you see. That doesn't meet the 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 test of what constitutes a real sacrifice. People say, well, you know, I, I didn't, you know, uh, go, go eat a prime rib because I, I, you know, put a $50 bill in the offering plate. And you may say, well, that was a sacrifice for me. And perhaps for you it was, and for others it might not have been at all. I think sacrifice is measured by loss. And when you decide that you're going to give your life to the Lord, and Paul is pleading with them on the mercy, on the basis of the mercy and love of God to present their body a living sacrifice. We know from the epistles of Peter that we have been ordained as a kingdom of priests unto our God. We know that the Bible reveals that to us in the book of Revelation as well. And as those who are individual priests before God, we have the ordination of the Lord to offer sacrifices unto Him. Not just the sacrifices of offerings, or as they did uh, in the temple, bring on the Day of Atonement a lamb without spot or without blemish. Not just to, to bring a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Not just to offer a bullock to entreat the Lord. It was more than that. You see, God is calling us as believer priests to offer a sacrifice of ourselves. Now, it's not talking about self-mutilation. It's not talking here at all about us having a death wish and putting ourselves physically upon the altar. But literally, the image is that we are presenting all that we are and all that we possess and all that we hope to become upon the altar of consecration and sacrifice. And by that altar itself, we are consecrated under the Lord. And in the teaching of Jesus, as he dealt with the Pharisees who had so uh, perverted the whole idea of sacrifices and what people were to bring and, and what was of greater value, the sacrifice or the altar or what consecrated it, the Lord made it clear that that altar of God is what consecrates and, and hallows that thing that is given because it indicates the one to whom it is given is rendered to God, and there is no claim of ownership once it has been given such that it could ever be taken back. And God desires for us to offer our very life, all that we are, all that we possess, all that we hope to become, to the Lord upon the altar of sacrifice. And let me just say this to you, in my own experience and in the teaching of the Word of God, what that means is ultimately I am choosing to live a life of dependency upon God. I am saying, Lord, I'm tearing up the script that I have written for my life. I am letting you be the maker of my dreams. I am giving you my hopes and aspirations, all my human resources. I'm laying them in your hands. My family is not mine, but yours. I am merely a steward in trust to raise my kids to love and honor you, but they are not mine. They belong to you. And so I'm offering all that I am 
upon the altar of sacrifice. And I am trusting you to do with my life as you see fit. And my friend, that rises to the level of faith living. That is what it literally means for us to live by faith. Of course, we know that the Bible says the just shall live by faith. That was the rally cry of the Reformation. And of course, uh, that was what uh, spawned many things in the heart of Martin Luther. But my friends, much more than a spiritual movement in a period of church history, it needs to begin to move your heart and understand that we who have been justified and saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ have now been called to live by faith and recognize that what God said about the father of what we know about faith, Abraham, the one overarching thing that we know about uh, Abraham is that he was a man of faith. He stands as a classic example in the Word of God of faith. He's one of the chiefest examples in the hall of faith that we read of in Hebrews chapter 11. And what did the exercise of his faith do? The Bible tells us this, who was strong in faith, giving God the glory. So the exercise of his faith, saying, Lord, I'm putting my life in your hands, it gave glory to God because it said, God, everything I am, everything I have, everything that delights my heart, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. And I'm trusting you for the outcome. I'm depending upon you for the outcome. And the greatest example of that was when God called him to go to Mount Moriah and to take that son, his only son, whom he loved, and uh, to uh, offer Isaac upon the altar of sacrifice. And we understand that, that God miraculously delivered. But when God saw Abraham raise the dagger, prepared to plunge it through the heart of his son, and he had a lamb that was caught in the thicket, a ram that was caught in the thicket, uh, cry out, and God provided himself a lamb. God said, now I know that Abraham will follow me. You see, it was a test of faith. And what the result was, was that God received the glory. What did Abraham do? You see, his life was wrapped up. His delights were wrapped up in that little boy. Isaac means laughter. And in their old age, that, that boy, that child of promise that God said He would give them, that gave uh, the, the, the rise to hope in their hearts that it was so what God said that He would make of them a great nation despite the deadness of His loins and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Understand this, that boy was their pride and joy. He represented all the hopes that, uh, that God had placed within their heart. And when God said, I want you to offer him upon the altar of sacrifice, Abraham walked up there and he thought, that little boy means everything to me. But God, you said that you would, of my loins, make a great nation so vast it would be as the stars of the heavens and as the sands of the sea. And God, I believe you. And I believe even that if I take the life of this boy, that you will raise him again so that 
you will prove yourself to be true. And by that exercise of faith, he was saying, God, you are good and you are faithful and you are holy and you are true and what you say is so. And so, God, I will follow you. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. When you understand the goodness of God and you truly believe God, you will begin to live a life of faith. And the Bible reveals to us there in Romans chapter 4 and verse number 20 that when we are strong in faith, God is the one who receives the glory. Because our dependence is upon the one who will set us free. Our dependence is upon the one who will supply our need. Our dependence is upon the one who will bring about the healing. Our dependence is upon the one who will deliver that child. And my friends, God is calling you and he is calling me to glorify him through our sacrifice because it is an exercise of our faith that says, God, I am trusting you. I believe you. And God proved that what he wanted was not the life of Esau, but rather, or rather of Isaac, but what he wanted was the heart of Abraham. He wanted the heart of Abraham. And understand that God wants your heart. And he wants you before you give a nickel to him, before you offer anything to the church, to first like the Macedonians of old, give yourself unto the Lord. Because if you do so, then the exercise of your faith in giving to the supply of whatever the Lord requires of you will indeed render glory to Him. Because we will see who you're depending upon. And you're depending upon the one who is worthy of your faith. Who's worthy of your loyalty. Who's worthy of your glory. In the light of the sacrifice of Calvary, it is entirely reasonable of God to ex expect everything of us, not just an offering of us, not just to say, I'm going to allow my child to serve you and not try to hold them back, restrain them to, to hold on to the to the apron string, so they're holding on to the apron strings and, and we're keeping them tied to home. No, it's everything. And in fact, that is exactly what we, we saw in the church in Macedonia. And the Bible reveals it. And if you would turn there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we read one of the most incredible stories of a church of people that were in deep poverty. And when I say deep poverty, my friends, the poverty levels uh, over 2,000 years ago were much different than what they are now. When the scripture said someone was in deep poverty, there was no social network there. There were, listen, the Caesar was killing Christians. He wasn't trying to help them out when they were hungry, you see. He, he wasn't opening soup kitchens, and uh, he wasn't uh, uh, trying to help them. He was trying to kill them. And the fact of the matter is that even the Gentiles themselves, uh, perhaps wherever uh, Messianic Jews or believers found themselves to be in the world during that particular time, there was nobody other than other believers whose hearts God had touched that might be willing to open their, their homes or to offer a helping hand. So when we find that they were in deep poverty, they were hungry. 
And I don't mean they'd missed a meal. They'd, they'd probably missed days of meals. And I don't mean that they'd, they'd, they'd lost their homes. I mean, they never had one. They, they were sleeping out under the stars with their kids. What the Bible says is this, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. You know what Paul is saying when he says we do you to wit? I want you to just think about, I want you to contemplate on this. I want you to meditate for a minute on the grace that God gave these people. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. What do we discover here? Well, what we see is that here is a church that was in deep poverty, and their poverty was only exceeded by their generosity. Their poverty, there was nothing in their world that was greater than their poverty except their love for God and their desire to be generous to Him and His work. You think about that for a minute. And so, it abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, and I want you to notice this, the word power here means ability, to their power. They gave what they had the ability to give, whatever it might have been, just a few shekels. To their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, the Bible says, they were willing of themselves. What does that mean? Well, what it indicates is not only did they give what, did they commit to give to the Lord what they had, but they committed to give what was beyond their means by faith. They were believing God to provide for them what they could not see, what they could not yet monetize, what they could not account for, but they were believing God by faith to enable them not only to give the little that they had, but beyond their power. In other words, what was happening here was that they were determined to live by faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So what they were doing was believing God to provide what they could not see, what they did not have. And what, what led them to that? It was purely an act of loving faith in a God that they believed could do anything but fail. And so they were trusting God to sustain their very lives, even as the widow of Zarephath, who was about to die with her son, who gave to God's man, and God provided for her. And she believed what God's man said. She took him as it were as the oracle of God, the mouthpiece of heaven to her. And though she was in a strait, and though anyone would have given her the out, not to have provided for the needs of Elijah, 
Elijah. Yet she did believing God and God proved himself to be true. And the glory came not to Elijah. It came not to the woman of Zarephath, but it went all to God. Why? Because she was strong in faith. And when we are strong enough in faith to give our lives to God in sacrifice, even as the Macedonian believers did, they first did that they gave themselves unto the Lord. And so, you know what? When God has you, he's got everything you have. And you know, it's an act of faith where you just say, Lord, I'm placing my whole life in your hand. Do with it as you please. And I got to tell you something. Years ago, as a young preacher, I was uh, serving in a church uh, in another state. We had a, a preacher who's now with the Lord come through. His name was Don Camp. And uh, I, I'll never forget Don Camp. He had Parkinson's disease and, and uh, he would always drink a, a glass of lemon juice with honey in it. Uh, before he would uh, get in the pulpit and he claimed that it helped to control the tremors when he was there. And, I, and many times he'd be preaching, I'd see him reach up and take his hand and put it down and hold it down as it, as it trembled. And, and, uh, and, and I can remember uh, many of the sermons that, that he preached, many of the colloquialisms and euphemisms that he gave. He, I remember him saying, dumber than a box of rocks. And uh, that just kind of stuck with me. It seemed like I knew a lot of people that resembled that statement. They were dumb as a box of rocks. And, uh, and I remember that, uh, that he preached a message one Wednesday evening uh, entitled, High Adventure. And the basis for that message was this, living a life of faith is the most exciting life that a person could ever live. When you put your life in God's hands, He will take you to places that otherwise you might never have gone. He will help you experience joys and thrills. And sometimes uh, we, we don't know how we're going to make it or where the outcome uh, will rest. But we, we understand this. God is in control. And you know, it's an adventure. It's not a dull life, living a life of faith in the Lord. But you know what? When we see the hand of God, when we see His fingerprints in our lives, and we know that He is providing, we know that He is leading, we know that He is loving, you know what happens? We render all the glory back to the Lord. Why? Because we chose to live a life of sacrifice, giving ourselves and consequently everything that we possess under the Lord. Folks, let me tell you something. God gave us every good thing. The Bible says in James chapter 1, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so understand that God has given you every good thing. And when you understand that, and you're willing to give your life in sacrifice unto Him, knowing that a loving God doesn't want to destroy your life, He said in John chapter 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He didn't come that you would be filled with morbidity and morose and darkness, but He came to give you light and to give you life and that more abundantly. He wants you to live with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And folks, a life of faith is that kind of life, and it always renders glory back unto the One that has given us everything. And folks, it's not a hard thing for someone who's living a life of faith to say, you know what, uh, listen, um, I, I need a new car and I've been saving for that, but you know what, this missionary has a need or, or the church has a need and God has put it on my heart. And so, you know, I'll go without a new car for a while. 
and I'll just trust God to, to keep the old jalopy running as long as I need to, and I'm going to give this. And you know, I'm going to tell you something wonderful happens in the heart when we turn loose of it, and we, we hold no longer a claim over that, and we say, God, I'm giving that as a gift in faith, trusting you to do what I could never do, to keep this old jalopy running. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. God can make that old jalopy go further than your, your mechanic ever could. And I'm going to tell you what, what's more. God can bless you with a new car when you bless Him with a life of faith. We can glorify God through our sacrifice, even as Abraham did, who was strong in faith, and as a consequence, he gave God the glory. You know, I told you I had seven points. And I, I mean, this is more and more looking like a seven-week sermon series. <laughs> we might have to interrupt it around Easter, but you know, folks, there's just too much preaching this for me to, to uh, try to race through it. And, and, and folks, I, I want us as a church to fulfill all of God's will for our lives. And I want us to become people of faith because that says, God, you are perfect and holy. I trust you and what you say. And I'm going to put my life in your hands. And by my faith in you, I give you glory. That's what Abraham did. And I want to have Abraham-like faith that says, God, I believe what you said. And I'm going to begin to make the decisions of my life accordingly. God, I believe that you're coming soon, and I want to live in a state of readiness. I want to hold the things of this earth loosely. I, I, I want to walk light on my feet. I don't want to be in love with things, even as John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of God, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. Him that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I like that verse in Colossians that says, Set your affections on things above, not on things in the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. But when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Folks, I believe God, do you? And, and since I do, I just want to hold the things of this earth loosely. I don't want to love them. I don't want to be in love with the, the things that are material. I want to be in love with my Savior. And I want to offer my life in sacrifice to Him to say, God, whatever I have, You have given to me, and I am merely a steward of it in trust. And whenever you have need of it, it's not mine to lay claim to. I'm going to give it to You and trust You to provide for my needs. Because You've never failed me yet. David said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread? And friend, I've come to that same conclusion. I don't know, uh, some, some days I feel a hundred years old and other times in my mind I feel like I'm still 20, you know. And then my body reminds me I'm closer to the hundred. Um, I, I am... I'm eight years closer to 100 than I am to zero. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the fact is that, look, um, God wants us to live in faith. It gives Him glory. And that's what we're to do. In every generation, world without end, may it be so. Maybe so in you. May it be so in me. Folks, do you believe God? Do you believe God is good? Do you believe God is perfect and holy? Do you believe that He wants what is absolutely best for you? 
If you really believe that, you know what you'll do? You'll take, as it were, the Isaac of your life. Your very life. Your very hopes and dreams. And lay them on the altar. And God will not crush those dreams. He will turn them into a work of rare and precious beauty. What will the result of that be? Well, He's going to get the glory because it's something more beautiful and wonderful than we could have ever created for ourselves. Let's glorify the Lord in our church. Let's do it through living in obedience to the Word. And let's do it through a life of faith, sacrifice unto the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank You tonight for the truth of Scripture and how that it just fits together like a hand in a glove. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would be determined to take You at Your Word, to believe You even as Abraham and Sarah did. And God, I pray that You would as a consequence, receive glory. Lord, help us in this age, world without end, to say, Amen. So be it to this great truth. This we ask in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. My friends, I want to say thank you for choosing to be with us tonight. I know that there are many things that you could have done, but you chose to to log on and to listen and to learn. It's my prayer that God did something in each of your hearts. Perhaps there's someone tonight that's watching that would say, Pastor Mark, I'm not even certain that if I died right now that I would spend forever in heaven with God. But I'm concerned about that. And if that's you, I want you to listen very carefully. I want to tell you in just a few moments how you can have that confidence in your heart. First of all, Know that God loves you and wants to spend forever in heaven with you. There's something standing in the way of that. And what it is, is it's called sin. And all of us have that problem. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. None of us could be good enough to merit heaven because we're too big a sinner. And folks, even if you could change your behavior today and start doing good things, you can't remove your past. Only God can do that. And so we have a problem. We're, we're sinners because we have done things wrong. But even if we could begin to do right, the fact is that we're not sinners because of what we do. We are sinners because of who we are. We were born into Adam's race. And what that means is we inherited a sinful nature. And so while you can change what you do, perhaps you could never change who you are. And we are sinners by birth and by choice. If you don't believe me, look, I'll take you on a field trip to the nursery on Sunday and show you little babies um, and toddlers who are throwing a fit of indignation. And I assure you that no mama or daddy taught their child how to do that. They were born with that nature in them. fact is, the Bible says there's a consequence for our sin, and that is death. The wages of sin is death. Death is separation. When my spirit and my soul leave my body, I'm dead. So the Bible says in the book of James chapter 2 that the body without the spirit is dead. And folks, know this, that the result or the consequence of our sin 
is death. We deserve to die and to be separated not only from our body, but then suffer a second death. The Bible talks about in Revelation 20, uh, 15, 14 and 15, separation from God in a place called hell, which is where people suffer and pay the price for their sin. That's what we deserve. But God said, wait a minute, I, I love them too much to see them suffer that fate. And so, God in the flesh, His name is Jesus, He came to this earth and He chose to live a perfect life and go to a cross to lay down His life and to shed His blood to pay the penalty for the sins of every person that has ever been born, and that includes you, and that includes me. The Bible says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. So all of us have the, the sentence of death on us. But understand this, God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we, that means all of us, were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's for everybody in the world. So Jesus laid down his life, paid the price for your sin, so that you could be forgiven. But my friends, everyone who has forgiveness available to them is not forgiven. They must appropriate what Jesus offers to them as a gift, receive his forgiveness, and then believe him. And understand, there's no other hope that we have for heaven. We could never be good enough. Jesus is the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In just a few weeks, we'll celebrate Easter. And leading up to that, we'll celebrate the death of Jesus, then the burial, and then, praise God, the resurrection of Jesus. And he rose up from the grave to offer you eternal life with him in heaven through the forgiveness of sins purchased with blood. And now the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If, if you have never personally received God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life in heaven with Him, tonight you can receive it. Wherever you are, you don't have to be in a church house, you can receive it. If you believe that Jesus loves you, though you were a sinner, and He died to pay the price for your sin on the cross of Calvary, so that you can escape the perils of hell. And if you simply believe him and receive that gift, he has promised to save you. He said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My friend, if you desire to know that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home, so that you can be saved, I'm going to pray a prayer. And this is a prayer we often call the sinner's prayer. And there's no magic words but God is looking into our hearts. And so if the words of this prayer that I pray right now reflect what God is impressing upon your heart and you believe Him and you want to receive Him, then I invite you to make this prayer your prayer to God from your heart. And He will hear and He will answer and He will save you. As I pray right now, I invite you to join me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner. I recognize that I cannot save myself. I can never be that good. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with Him. 
I believe that Jesus died for me and that He was buried and that He rose up from the grave to give me this everlasting life. Thank You for dying on the cross for me. I'm now trusting Jesus and Jesus only to be my Savior. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you just prayed that prayer with all of your heart, on the authority of God's Word, you're forgiven. You're saved. It doesn't mean you'll never commit a sin, but you'll never commit a sin that God will hold against you because Jesus paid for that one too. You see, He gives you a life that He'll never take away. Jesus said, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And that's a promise from the God that cannot lie because Psalm 119 says in verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So when God gives you a promise, it's a settled issue. And so if you made that decision, I want to invite you to call our church office or email us. Let us know about your decision. We want to send you some wonderful information that will help you in your Christian life. We want to give you a Bible. And so we invite you to, to reach out to us. And if you just didn't quite get everything I was saying, you'd like to talk about it, call the church tomorrow. I'd be happy to, to visit with you and talk to you about the need of your heart. And it would give us great joy and delight to know that we could be a help in directing you in the Scriptures to know that this salvation is assured me. Thank you.